Thank you for tuning in. We'll get to your program right after this short word from our sponsor. In your company, a challenge? Are you battling turnover and struggling to draw key talent? Is your team not performing at the level you want? Problems present themselves through conflict, miscommunication, creative differences, unclear expectations, and motivational issues. ARC Integrated is here to address these challenges through executive coaching and customized interactive trainings. Create lasting positive change that will improve your bottom line and create a culture that attracts talent and reduces turnover by going to arcintegrated.com. That's arcintegrated.com. On The Mindful Marketplace, we share the stories of entrepreneurs, investors, economists, and business leaders who are not only making a profit, but who are creating more equitable, sustainable, and democratic business practices and communities along the way. It's where we learn how we can, at every level, do our part to create a more mindful marketplace. Welcome, everyone, to The Mindful Marketplace. My name is Joel Skeen, and I'm incredibly grateful to get to host a show here on bizradio.us. Um, I do want to especially thank Matt Matan for creating this network and for allowing me this airtime. And I'd also like to thank Alex Cardona from the Golden Key Show for introducing me to Matt and encouraging me to start my own show. Um, I also want to thank you, the listener, for gifting me with really the most valuable thing that you own, which is your time. There are millions of content options that you could be listening to right now. And the fact that you spend any of your time with me is an honor and a privilege, and I do not take it lightly. It's a responsibility for me to bring the highest quality show that I can to you each week. Now that I've gotten about a half dozen or so episodes under my belt, I thought that this would be a good time to talk a little bit about what the real purpose of this show is and what I'm learning as I go along this process. I know most of you you don't know much about me. So I'm going to start by letting you know where I come from and how I got here. When I started college, I was originally a music major. I play multiple instruments, and music might be my longest and best friend in life, along with uh, nature. And while I still find to this day music to be one of the greatest gifts that we have as humans, when I thought about my career, I found myself drawn to work that made a big difference in people's lives. You know, I started to understand how out of balance our world and society were, and I wanted to do something that made a positive impact, something that moved the needle towards a more loving, peaceful, tolerant, and just society. I guess I was a dreamer, and I suppose some things never change. Uh, So I changed my music, or my major, from music to sociology, and I created a specialization in community development. I learned about some of the problems we face as a society. I learned how much power was concentrated among such a small group of corporate board members. I learned how quickly the rich were getting richer and the poor were getting poorer. I also saw the effects of that power being wielded throughout my home state. My father was from Flint, Michigan, and in Michigan, the auto industry reigned supreme. The people who lived there gave their time, their labor, and sometimes their lives to the big companies that they worked for. But as soon as it became cheaper, for those big companies to make their cars in other countries, they abandoned the people who helped them build their empire as quickly as they could. I also saw though how with proper planning and attention to the well-being of all people, certain neighborhoods in Chicago, Detroit, and the other Midwest cities I studied were able to be transformed when human beings got together and decided that their community would be based on something greater than just corporate profits. I saw that there was hope when ordinary people got together, got intentional, and got organized and worked for a better future. So after college, I joined the Peace Corps. 
I was on a mission to save the world and I went to Eastern Europe where I was stationed in Bulgaria teaching English in the public school system. Living in another country was really a great teacher for me. I learned so much, not only about the Bulgarians, but it helped me really hold up a mirror to the society and the culture where I was raised. In many ways, I became very grateful for what we have here in the US. And at the same time, I became somewhat disillusioned with the direction our culture and our monopolized economic system was headed. I could tell that there was still a lot of work to be done. So when I returned home from the Peace Corps, I spent the next five years working in direct service nonprofits. I started out as a social worker, handling a caseload of about 20 individuals who were considered chronically homeless. What that means is that they have been homeless for at least a full year. Most people don't realize this, but the majority of people experiencing homelessness are in groups. They are families who have fallen on hard times and end up couch surfing for a few months while they get their lives back together. But the people I was case managing were past that phase. 100% of my clients had serious mental health issues. 100% of them had been abused as children. And all but one of them had developed substance abuse addictions as a way to cope with that mental illness. It was possibly the hardest job I've ever had. And it taught me a level of understanding and empathy that I don't know if I would have learned if I had done anything else. I then went on to run the largest food bank in my metro Detroit County. And I served on the board of a nonprofit dedicated to helping impoverished families with healthy food access. You see, at that time in the city of Detroit, with a population of about a half million, the whole city didn't even have a single grocery store. Poor families were stuck getting their nutritional needs met from gas stations and liquor stores. So we would give out bags of food once a week. We would also give low-income families garden beds and teach them to grow their own food. We would organize and establish farmers markets in these neighborhoods. And I eventually took on a role with the title social enterprise manager. Now, a lot of you listening probably know what social enterprise means. And it can take a lot of forms, but if you aren't familiar with the term, it essentially means business for a cause. Sometimes this means that a business may donate a certain amount of their profits to a local cause. Sometimes the business donates its products or services to people who are in need every time they sell something. In my case, we were selling garden products and services to families that could afford them and use any profits we made to support our efforts in helping low-income families secure healthy food. It was my first foray into the business world, and I was not very good at it, honestly, <laughs> but we did our best. Um, if you would like to hear from more local social entrepreneurs, I encourage you to go back and check out the episodes I did with Bruce Waller from Grind Coffee and Sarah Stender Delaney of Cirilla Tea. During this time in my life, as I was transitioning from nonprofit work to the business world, I also learned a lot about how if business was done with intention and care for people first, it could have an incredibly positive impact on its community. I saw neighborhoods in Detroit turn around because of the investments that were made by local businesses. There's a neighborhood in Detroit called Corktown. It's the oldest neighborhood in the city. And when I first visited it, it was, um, it's, it was boarded up and desolate. It was in the shadow of the abandoned train station. Um, the storefronts were empty. It wasn't really the kind of place that you wanted to spend your time. But then this really great barbecue place called Slows moved in. And pretty soon there was a boutique coffee shop next door and then a real estate group moved in. 
And after 10 years, Corktown had become one of the most vibrant places to live in the area. The houses and business district were full and revitalized. Around that time, I also got to attend a conference that was all about supporting and investing in local independently owned businesses. And I realized there that there was a whole world of business owners who were using their capital and influence to improve their communities as well as get a return on their investment. These were people that I wanted to be like. I knew I wanted to become a business owner and I knew I wanted to use that business for good, but I had really no idea where to start. I stalled out in real estate. And then after moving to Western North Carolina, I fell flat on my face trying to sell life insurance. After about a year and a half of not making any money at all, I finally found some success with a local financial services company that was owned by two gentlemen that had a much more holistic approach to their clients, agents, and leaders than is common in our industry. In addition, I also began meeting all these really wonderful local people and developing a network of people and businesses who were focused on developing their their own people and the broader community just as much as they were on making a profit, if not more. So when I was introduced to Alex and Matt here at Biz Radio US, and we began talking about the idea of a show, I knew that I wanted to use any platform I was fortunate enough to have to lift up the voices of the people who are doing the work of creating what I'm calling the mindful marketplace. So what do I mean by the mindful marketplace? Well, I first want to unpack that word mindful. I know it's pretty vogue to call yourself mindful. <laughs> it's honestly a little nuts to me that meditation, yoga, and other mindfulness practices are as popular as they are. Back when I was going to college, there was an article in our school paper about how yoga really should be avoided because it may cause you to be accidentally sinning against God. <laughs> um, I'm personally a big fan of mindfulness practices. I think they're great. But what I mean when I use the word mindful here can be understood by thinking about the alternative. If you're not mindful, what are you? Well, you're mindless. If we are mindless, we lack any intention and everything we do is simply by accident. So if our systems, our economy, and our cultural institutions and our consumptions aren't mindful, we end up with the mess that we see in our news feeds every day. So whether it's in our personal lives, our work, or our business community, there are really only two ways to go about doing things. We can either live and operate accidentally or intentionally. This dichotomy is really what I mean when I use the word mindful. It simply means present and intentional. And if you look at our current political economy, it's obvious that there is more mindlessness than mindfulness out there. Corporate monopolies wield unprecedented power. Big companies acquire and merge with other big companies, making the ideal of a competitive marketplace smaller and smaller every year. Our government, more often than not, serves to give that corporate power whatever it wants, whenever it wants, without consideration for the long-term health and wealth of the people that they are supposed to represent in our democracy. It isn't being a lapdog of multinational corporations. It serves to give us the illusion of choice in a two-party system. Day-to-day, -day, Americans are overwhelmed with psychologically manipulative marketing, which feeds into our strongest and darkest emotional impulses. They use fear-mongering to distract us and keep us fighting with each other. They appeal to our base impulses of envy and greed in an attempt to compel us to consume as much as possible, 
usually to consume things we don't need, are unhealthy for our bodies, our minds, and our spirits. Oh, and how should we pay for all this consumption? Well, we're tempted and encouraged to go into as much debt as possible. Mortgages, student loans, car loans, credit cards become the default option. And so we become trapped and dependent on the very system that is creating this mess. Now, debt in this country has reached crisis levels. In 1980, the federal debt to GDP ratio was 34%. In 2000, that number had risen to 57%. But today, the federal debt to GDP ratio has exploded to an astonishing 130%. Interest on debt is now the fourth largest budget item of our national government behind only Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, and military spending. The average personal debt per citizen, which includes children, is $70,000. In the year 2000, the median new home cost was $165,000, and today the median home cost is $435,000. In that same time frame of 22 years, the median income for an American has only risen from $32,000 a year to $36,000 a year. So the cost of housing has more than doubled, but the money people are making isn't even keeping up with inflation. Now, what happens to most of that money that we do get? Well, you may be aware that between income tax, property taxes, sales tax, and anything else, the average American family spends about 40% of their gross income just on taxes. But what most people don't know is that the average American household spends another 34% of their gross income on interest on debt. I'm gonna say that again. The average American family spends 34% of their gross in income on interest on debt. Not on principal, but on interest. This means that the average American family sends a whopping 74% of their gross income back to the government and the big banks, leaving them with just 26% of the money they make. One poignant example of this is mortgage debt. In my business, I work with mortgage holders every week who tell me that their mortgage rate is usually below 5%. They're often very proud of the low interest rate that they're getting. It's below 2%, they might say. But when we actually look at their amortization tables over the course of 20 or 30 year mortgage, they're paying more like 50% of their loan amount in interest. And if they refinance to get a better rate, guess what? They start back at the beginning of their loan where nearly 100% of their monthly payment is going directly to interest. This isn't stuff that your lender will tell you. And the reality is banks don't want you to be out of debt. They like taking as much of your money from you as they can. <laughs> and this is why at my business, the skiing agency, it is our mission to take that 34% that you're spending on interest out of the control of the big banks and back into your pocket and under your control. We're dedicated to educating families on the various strategies that have been around for decades on how to get out of debt fast without spending any additional money. Then we use a, an exclusive software that was developed in Asheville, North Carolina to customize a plan based on your family's unique situation, including interest rates, amortization schedules, introductory periods, ballooning payments, and any other relevant information to get you out of debt in half the time or less, again, without spending any additional money. 
We don't charge a dime for this consultation and information. If you'd like to learn about how you can get free from debt, you can visit mindfulmarketplaceshow.com and click on the button that says debt elimination resources. Okay, so obviously there are plenty of problems of a mindless marketplace. So then the question becomes, if that's what we get from a mindless marketplace, what could we get from a mindful one? What would an economy that puts the well-being of people first and profits second actually look like? Who are the people doing that work? What are the local businesses, investment groups, support systems, and educational resources that can help each of us do our part in creating a more mindful marketplace? Now, I have a lot to learn, and I don't pretend by any means to have all the answers. In fact, I view this show as an opportunity to teach as I'm learning. I bring on people that I want to learn from and then share that conversation with you. But as I move through reading about and interviewing experts on what this mindful marketplace looks like, there are a few common sense concepts and practices that seem to move us in that direction. And I want to briefly discuss them here. The first could be called localism. Entire books have been written about the benefits of spending your money locally. And it's outside the scope of this episode for me to list them all. But if you take a moment to consider the differences between spending your money at a chain or spending your money at a local business, I think it's pretty easy to understand why it's better to spend your money at local independently owned businesses. Locals respend that money locally. They also have roots in your community. They are often from here. Many of them will die here. <laughs> they don't ship your dollar to a Wall Street bank or a tax haven. Instead, they tend to support the local supply chain, um, which makes our community more robust to downturns and recessions in the national market. Locals also have a stake in what happens in our town, in your town. Many of them are involved in local government and community organizations, and locals are more likely to have a direct cause that they support in your community. They also tend to take better care of their employees because they're close to them and they don't view them as just another number the way the big companies do. In addition, they often take better care of the environment because their local reputation in the community matters so much more than it does to a multinational corporate monopoly. You know, oftentimes we see celebrations when a big business moves to town. People say it'll bring jobs, but study after study confirms that those jobs are often taken at the expense of jobs held at local businesses. And we must ask, why do those big companies usually choose where to locate? It's usually based on which town happens to give them the best tax break and government subsidies. So when they do come to town, you know, maybe it does help the community for a short while. But what happens as soon as that company is offered a sweeter tax deal in another state or another country? You guessed it. Easy come, easy go. If you'd like to learn more about the difference that localism makes, check out my interview with Sherry Lucas from Go Local Asheville, or Clark Harris from Lolo. Localism doesn't stop, though, with where you buy things. There are also a growing number of ways that you can invest your money into Main Street rather than Wall Street. Did you know that independent businesses make up half our GDP? They make up two-thirds of the new jobs that are created, yet less than 1% of Americans' retirement savings are invested in local businesses? This is a growing movement. Sometimes it's referred to as slow money. And we'll be discussing it more, but if you want to begin to dip your toe in that water, listen to my interviews with Matt Raker of Mountain Bizworks and Jamie Ager of Hickory Nut Gap Farms. Now, speaking of investing, 
There are a growing number of community funds and other investment opportunities where local investors are pooling their money together to get not just a financial return, but also a social return. You know, imagine if instead of getting a five or seven or 8% return on your money in Wall Street, you were able to get that same return on your money by lending it to a local bookstore, coffee house, tech startup, or a retailer. Getting a financial return, but also the social return of being a stakeholder in a business you frequent and value, and that needs funding to either start or to expand. These groups are sometimes referred to as impact investors, and there are more of them than you're probably aware of. I'm gonna be diving more into these topics as the show continues and having on more guests who can help us learn more about how we can make a local impact with our retirement savings and our investment dollars. All right, I know that may have been a lot to take in. I know it was definitely a lot for me to say, but at the end of the day, I think that the mindful marketplace is less of a destination and it's more of a direction. It's not so much a map as it is a compass. It points us towards less monopolization and more localization. It points away from winner take all and towards a rising tide raises all ships. It points us from business away from business tyranny and towards business democracy. So on this show, I'll highlight the people that are pointing us in that direction. Because the reality is the money that we spend and the investments that we make, I believe truly have more power to change the world than our vote. And it's good for us to think of where we spend and invest our dollar as our vote. When you spend and invest, which marketplace are you voting for? A more mindful one or a more mindless one? I hope that you will join me on this journey of learning and I hope it will lead you to help uh, join in making and helping us create a better future for all of us. I'm Joel Skeen and before, before we go, I wanna wish you all the best. Take care of yourself and take care of each other. You can find this show and other great shows by entrepreneur hosts at bizradio.us. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.